Ladies and gentlemen, it's the captain speaking. Beyond the Cockpit with Grace McKellar. Hello everyone and thank you so much for joining me on Beyond the Cockpit. In today's episode we're going to hear from Matt who's recently completed his type rating with a UK airline. You'll also hear about his experience training abroad and what he's been doing over the last year. Hi Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Hi Grace, thanks for having me on. So to start off, how did you actually get into aviation? Um, Was it something that you've always wanted to do? Does your family have a background in aviation? Or is it? did you just decide one day, I think being a pilot would be quite cool, I want to go and do that? I think maybe from when I was a, a child, I always thought about being a pilot, but I don't really come from a family of aviators. Like None of my parents or relatives are pilots or work in aviation. My dad used to travel a lot with work, and sometimes I would go with him when I was younger. So that's probably how I was exposed to the sort of world of travel, if you like. And then I did a bit of that. And as I got older, obviously, I enjoyed maybe the actual getting there a bit as opposed to the destination. But I think I sort of got to the school leaver age, university age, and wasn't really sure whether I was going to go immediately into it because I didn't know what was out there so much. Maybe I didn't research it quite as much as I had work or university. But yeah, that's probably how I got into it, I suppose, was I just was exposed to it that way and then sort of fell into it. I worked for a few years and then fell into a course in 2017. Mm. So I did air cadets at school. So that kind of exposed me a bit to flying. Did you do any sort of flying before you started? your training? I always feel really bad because like 99% of training pilots seem to have done air cadets or university air squadron or something like that and I never really did any of that but I did do um so when I was 16 I did some trial flights and things like mm-hmm. that and started to work towards what was a PPL but I then sort of stopped that with A-levels and all the various other things like that to try and maybe revisit it afterwards and that's maybe where I started and got the sort of actual tested that I actually liked it if that makes sense Mm, yeah exactly I mean I'd hate to pay all this money and then do all the exams and then get in the aircraft and realize I get airsick or something yeah it's a good test isn't it I think things like that and that's when someone says to me what would be your advice I always feel a bit underqualified to give advice but I always say just make sure you want to do it and that you do Mm. actually like it you know before you commit all this time and money into it yeah exactly even if you just have one trial flight or one Mm. hour that's really good because it's kind of sets a benchmark and you actually know that that definitely is something that you're really interested in yeah agreed you said that you finished school and then you took some time off working and then went into um your course would you recommend that 18 year olds or people fresh out of school fresh out of college take a bit of time off to you know work and get some experience and then go into a a course like this or do you think it's a good idea for someone fresh out of school to immediately go into pilot training i think there's pros and cons and obviously i think you're from a similar sort of background in that you've got some maybe life experience before going into flying and i'd say that that's probably more that'd be my advice for me that's what worked best was going out and doing something I think by finishing school so I decided I, I was going to go to university and then I thought well I don't necessarily have a course that I want to do mm. which is why I started working and I think life experience is really useful and the bit I found hard was the education part of the training sort of the theoretical knowledge at the start because but the group exercise and the interviews I found a bit more normal so I worked for five years almost mm. five years before I started my training and I think that was really great for just get meeting new people and dealing with difficult situations I was felt like I could answer those kind of questions the challenge I found was getting straight into an educate like a full-time education setup again yeah but I think that and I think that's where the people who maybe don't go out and do work or go to uni and they come straight from Adels they're really quite hot on studying and sort of and that's where they maybe excel and in the other side if you get some go out and get some experience maybe you're better at the other elements mm. of the struggle there I completely agree with you actually I was in a position where I'd come from studying and I'd had that life experience but my background was completely different and it was just 
going from an arts degree into something so technical. <laughs> like you say, it was completely different. I worked in business, so I effectively worked in sales and marketing. And whilst that was great and challenging, it was so wildly different from learning about meteorology or, like you say, principles of flight. Yeah. <laughs> it's just adapting your mind, isn't it? So with your training, did you go down a sponsored route or integrated modular? What did you do? Uh, so I sort of told myself, maybe when I was sort of 21, 22, I realised that this is really what I wanted to do and I needed to dedicate to finding a course. Um, and I sort of did some research and I appreciate everyone has different requirements. But for me, I felt... An integrated course was perhaps more useful because I'd been out of education. I wanted a course that I could start, you know, you're with course mates all the way through generally. And so I select, I decided that integrated was my method. I looked at a few of the various different schools. And at the time, there were a couple of tag schemes. I did actually end up on an integrated tag scheme with a UK airline. So it's effectively, I completed my course with a mixture of people who were tagged to an airline and people who weren't. And um, yeah, I went through that way. Cool. So when you were choosing integrated, did you decide to go integrated ATPL or integrated MPL? So the scheme that I was on had had effectively both mm-hmm. um, and they streamed you on. There was three routes. So it was an MP, a purely MPL, a purely ATPL and then one in the middle, which was effectively depending on your theoretical knowledge performance. They would offer you the option of both if you perform to a certain standard, which was the route I did. I did compare an MPL and an ATPL. And perhaps when I started my training, I wasn't as aware as I should have been of the benefits and drawbacks but I got to a point where I was offered an MPL and an ATPL but the MPL meant a longer delay you know I'd left a paying job so I was quite keen to get working and finish my Mm. training I I stayed with an ATPL and it meant I also stayed with my course mates Um, but I think probably for me my personal preference is an ATPL but I do understand there's positives to the MPL as well. I wasn't tagged or sponsored or anything but it was similar to me for me when I was choosing integrated or modular I wanted that sort of continuity and it just made a bit more sense with my background and I think looking back on it now I can really see the benefits of going modular the flexibility you have with time and spreading the cost of training because it's such a huge investment but if I had to do it again I probably would do the modular route definitely. Yeah and I think I I do agree that um, my training was prior to COVID, which has added its own challenges. And my training with the provider that I was originally with quite heavily delayed. So I was delayed 52 weeks. Effectively, I did an integrated scheme in a modular timeline. Uh, But I do understand that modular, you can be a bit flexible and dip in and out. But then if an integrated course all goes well and you're in a position to do it, you can be finished in 18 months. So it's just trying to find that balance. And unfortunately, I didn't end up with the positive side of an integrated Mm. which is swift finish whereas I could have done a modular course in that same time probably for a lot cheaper yeah I I agree one of my friends she did her integrated course in 16 months and that was insane and yeah for me it took two flight schools and two and a half years uh so I feel like same as you effectively I've done modular I did my ground school in one place and then did the flying side with a different provider So speaking about flying, you did some of your training in New Zealand. So can you tell me a bit about that and what that was like? So when I started training, I think one of the things that we did factor into it was where am I going to do the flying? And if I do it in the UK, am I going to be delayed because of things like weather and maybe it's a bit busier? And the plan was to go out there for sort of six months, do the bulk of the sort of initial flying, the single engine flying and the VFR stuff. And you do your commercial pilot's license in 
New Zealand and then you come back and do your instrument rating in the UK um, and get used to UK airspace. And I'd love to say that I went there just for the flying and came back, but it was I was quite lucky in that I was able to go and explore and do these things. And what was quite good was I went out with my friends and was able to experience a culture I probably wouldn't have done in the past, certainly for that length of time. And it felt more, felt less like a holiday because I was there probably in total for about a year. Okay. But yeah, it was really, but it was, yeah, it was really cool. It was a, a really good experience that I probably won't forget as far as living in New Zealand. So you said you had to come back and fly in UK airspace what was it like if you had to compare New Zealand airspace to UK airspaces was it quieter what were the radios like what was how did you find the transition I'd love to say it was really easy and I came back and I was like yeah it's exactly the same I found it really tricky at first like I (laughs) had absolutely no idea so some stuff is the same obviously you know being clear for takeoff is being clear for takeoff but the rate like the RT was so wildly different Mm. and I came effectively ended up with the radio telephony exam which is a part of your license and I I realized I'd never never flown VFR in the UK and it's completely different and I was reading these good books thinking this isn't what I'd say and I found that side really challenging to adapt almost the flying bit was secondary (laughs) the bit I found hard was what am I doing where am I going because the sort of way of flying in New Zealand is a lot more uncontrolled whereas here you're always speaking to someone in New Zealand, you could do a whole flight where you just speak to the tower on takeoff and you change onto sort of traffic frequencies and come back and speak to the tower again. Whereas here, you'd never do that. Oh my God, I couldn't imagine doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and I think it was really useful to fly in the UK because I would have hated to get to an airline or a flying job and had absolutely no idea how to fly a plane in the UK. You know, Mm. I I still think VFR particularly, I'm not sure that I would feel comfortable flying VFR on my own. IFR is a bit different because you're controlled, but I've never flown... Well, I've flown less than five hours BFR in the UK mm. ever. So, um, but yes, yeah, it certainly was. That was the strangest thing was the sort of getting used to the, that differentiation. I remember when I first started, I was so nervous about radios and messing up on the radios. And it's basically a whole other language, isn't it? And then yeah. the more I flew around, the more I realised that people are just actually quite relaxed on the radio. And you hear these people just having a conversation to the controller. Whereas when I started, I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to be so on it. Everything needs to be so precise. Um, Yeah, and I think that is you can obsess over it, can't you? You can sit there and you read the book and it says it's got to be like that. And that's what makes it. I don't know about you, but it made me 10 times worse. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, When did you finish your training? um, So as far as my flight training, so the Mm. light aircraft training. So I started in October 2017 and then I finished at Christmas 2019. And that was okay. the light aircraft training. Yeah. I then went on to complete a tight rating with the airline first three months of 2020. Um, yeah. So if, if you think of my integrated course finished in, at the end of 2019. So how did you find the jump from flight training to type rating? Because for me, I think it's just a huge jump and it seems really daunting to go for a, a type rating. Doing the APSMCC, which for people who aren't familiar with, it's the airline pilot standard multi-crew cooperation yeah I think that's that sounds right (laughs) that was that was quite intense and it was only like 10% of a type rating was it a huge step up or was it quite manageable I think it definitely was a step up but the benefit that people who've done an APS MCC have done I'm going to say the acronym because I can't remember what it stands for (laughs) um, is um, that it's a lot more involved I think than a so I did an MCC jock like an AQC so the course I'd done the only jet exposure I'd done prior to a type rating was we did a week of multi-crew flying which is effectively just the first time with the autopilot on you know turn can I asking someone else to turn the head as a group and then we did a week of jock which is effectively just jet handling so you turn off all the systems not like how an airline would fly it you effectively turn off the things like flight directors and auto thrust and autopilot 
and you don't fly it how you would a jet. You fly effectively fly like you would a multi-engine aircraft. You fly a jet. And at the time, I didn't know any different. I thought that was great. Mm. But then when you get to a tight rate, I got to a tight rating and I realized that it was effectively what I'd learned was, yes, the multi-crew stuff was very useful. But the whole second week, which was just flying an aircraft around like a light aircraft, was completely useless for the tight rating. And I found that quite a, a step up. Whereas I think an APS MCC is designed a bit to be a bit more practical. And I think maybe at the time it wasn't offered. And I think those sort of courses are a bit more useful. But yeah, it was a step up. But I was able to justify that it was three months of hard work. And then effectively I was done. Like I never mm. really have to do a proper exam again. So yeah, I did. The theory was quite intense. And then the, the sims were long hours, early starts, late finishes. But it was all, you know, it was a bit like, I'm going to do this in a real plane. In At the time, I thought I was going to do this in a real plane in six months. So, yeah. um, so I was able to, you know, it was a very short, it's a bit like ground school. It's only six months. And this was only three months with I could sort of justify it, if that made sense. Mm. And you, you definitely have something to, to aim for. I think that's something that I found quite difficult throughout all of my training I started off my training and airlines were employing people left right and center and I thought the future looked quite positive and then leaving flight training and coming out with my license in March 2021 it's just a full 180 having something to focus on and sort of reminding yourself why you're actually doing it kind of does help you get through it yeah I agree I think that you're right it is one of those things you sort of I don't know how you felt I felt like it was you I was just hitting these sort of mini milestones you know you do a, a check flight in a single engine but it's not really it's almost just in in your land it's massive but in mm. actual in the airlines it doesn't it's not even on their radar so you sort of you have all these quite important flights throughout your training but it's just trying to keep motivated but yeah that was the, maybe the main difference with it with the type mm. rating. how does the type rating work and what other training did you have to do did you have to do base training or I don't really know how it works and um, yeah sure so I started off um with a theoretical element so effectively they you get computer-based learning now I was a bit surprised at this I sort of imagined it would be a month in a classroom with an Airbus engineer and effectively we turned up on the first day and there was an Airbus engineer and I thought great this is going to be exactly you know classroom-based learning and he said so you've got your iPads here's the link um, I'll leave you with this and I'll see you in three days so effectively our whole systems-based learning was we'd sit in a classroom but you have to do so many hours of classroom study we'd sit in a classroom as a group and we'd go through work through computer-based modules of you know the engine systems autopilot navigation and then once a day we'd have an hour or two with an engineer to answer any questions oh and effectively that, yeah so I found that quite tricky to it's effectively just watching videos and videos and videos mm. um, and I know different airlines and different schools do it in different ways but that was the particular school I was at that's how they did it and then you do a theoretical knowledge exam which you have to pass um, and it's effectively a, can they can ask you on anything of the aircraft so it's but you've spent so much time it's a bit like a intensive driving course it's all you think about you know you spend a month learning it and then you do an exam on just that topic so you know what they're going to roughly ask you mm. um, so that was fine but it wasn't anything as hard as ground school and then you progress on to a number of sims it varies depending on the airlines sort of 10 to 15 sims um, which are four hours long and it's effectively on anything from you start off doing normal operation of the aircraft so I started off you know takeoffs landings yeah. flying somewhere and then it moves on to abnormals and emergencies and that's dealing with you know the sort of things you imagine it's going to deal with engine failures and things like that and I yeah. did find that particularly challenging it culminates in a an LST so my airline you do it over two days which is two four-hour sims so two hours flying two so hours what's monitoring. sorry what's an LST what does that stand for it's a uh, licensed skills test okay so it's effectively like an instrument rating test or okay. a CPS test, you just effectively get assessed on, you take off from a destination. So I think mine was Edinburgh to East Midlands. Okay. Take off. 
along the way something goes wrong and they manage your you know they check that you can manage all the atc along the way you can program the aircraft you can deal with any failures you can work as a crew and it's decision making so there's no you go into this test it's not like a an instrument rating test where you fly for example i, I did my trip oxford to gloucester gloucester to oxford you could take off and then you could decide to divert to manchester or you could divide, mm. decide to divert to aberdeen it just depends on as a crew what you decide um, but it's basically a, a flight where something goes wrong. And because you've done three months of training, you're able to effectively manage the aircraft and make a decision on what to do. And you safely manage it down to the ground as if it's a real flight. And then at the end, they tell you you've passed. But it is lower stress as well because you can repeat things. So in an exam, if you miss something, that's it. You know, you've partialed or failed the test. Whereas in this, you can repeat things. I think it, I, I can't say it's definitely at least once. It might even be twice. But if you messed up the engine failure after takeoff, mm. you just do it again. They can okay. train you on it and you can do it again. And it just gets marked down as, oh, it took Matt two goes. Okay. But it was a lot lower stress, I found, the actual exam. So then what's base training? Because did you do that in Exeter? Base uh, Shannon. Oh, so, Shannon, sorry. <laughs> I, uh, so I qualified in March 2020. Then there was obviously a global lockdown. So fantastic time for finishing training. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so didn't really do much at all for the rest of the year. And then effectively my exam that I'd done in the simulator, the LST had expired. So I had to do oh another one of them. Oh my God. So you had to do a whole other one of them again in uh, just before Christmas. Um, again, nice Christmas for me. Yeah. And then um, in January, so all of a sudden the airline, different airlines have did different things because of COVID. Our airline were quite fortunate in that they said we'll honour the base training. Mm. And we couldn't start working for them at that time because, appreciate there's nobody going on holiday but yeah um they honored the base training and what that is it's your first time flying a real aircraft and you're not effectively type rated on the aircraft until you've done six takeoff and landings in a, oh, yeah. in a real life airbus and i think the mpl license maybe used to be 12 and is now six as well effectively you take off as a group of you fly somewhere and then you do six visual circuits in an aircraft to land oh what was um, that like yeah it was pretty mental it sort of it felt like you know i'd done a lot of training to get to this point and i also mm. didn't think I was, at one point the school will with was saying well the airline are unable to provide it so you're going to have to pay and to pay for it is a thousand pound a circuit oh so my God. to then transition to okay yeah we're going to pay for it and we're going to do it in January so um we were, I felt quite lucky to be able to do that and different people I know that COVID's affected people in lots of different ways but mm. um yeah it was really cool like I was very fortunate in that we turned up and they said because of COVID there's 15 of you we can only do five in a day so there's three groups of five and I went on the first day um, and then five of us and two captains and a safety first officer flew to Shannon um, and then we basically just all took turns doing six six or seven circuits and a go around each but yeah it was really cool the only thing I would say was it was very quick the thing I found strange was not even the takeoff because it just felt like a sim it was the sitting in the seat like for the first time on the ground and then the instructor said all right just sort of taxi us over there and I, I, I sort of looked at him as, as if to say well I'm gonna move it am I you know because it just I don't know that was the weirdest thing for me because it was so because everything else is sort of you're so focused on doing it whereas that just yeah. felt really strange um, but yeah, the, the takeoffs were really good. I think it was from start to finish, no more than an hour in the seat, if anything less. Really? Because, you know, it's so much faster. So oh, yeah, sort of of course. And I was just focused on getting it done, but it was, it felt weird to do it. Like it just, I couldn't explain to you. It just was a strange feeling. If that mm. makes sense. Obviously, it's a, I guess it's the culmination. That was the key thing for me. It was getting it done. And 
fortunately it went well but yeah there's there's always the back in mind that something could go wrong or you could slam it into the runway or something like that so I was just trying to focus mm. on doing a good job and did you like back seat the other people doing it um yeah so I was quite fortunate in that um so you effectively sit in the because of covid we all had to socially distance and that's why there was less of us but it also meant that we were all able to sit and watch you know it was people I trained with in ground school in 2017 were doing it with me mm. so I was able to oh, sit there and nice. watch them which was nice and then I was quite fortunate that I was able to um sit on the jump seat all the way back from Shannon into Catwick which was oh, pretty cool, cool. So actually um got to fly into Catwick in the jump seat and that was when the captain or one of the captains and the safety pilot were flying the mm. sector um, but that was just it was just really interesting to see an actual line flight if that makes sense you know like someone doing it for real mm. as opposed to in the sim where you know you're going to take off and you know unfortunately an engine is going to fail but in practice that doesn't generally happen so it was just nice to see a more a bit like a passenger flight if you like because you don't get yeah. a lot of exposure to that so with COVID and everything and kind of had to pause your training what have you been up to what are you doing to keep busy um so I'm not one of these people I don't like sitting around if that makes sense like I understand you know if I if I was looking for a job and couldn't get one I would be happy with that but I, I wouldn't be one of these people who wants to sit at home for a year so effectively I would have had a year off now if I hadn't have done anything I was quite keen to find something as soon as I knew that perhaps I wasn't going to be flying a plane as as quick as I would have liked and I had a sales and marketing background and the second school I trained at based in Oxford fortunately emailed and said we've got a role in marketing starting as soon as possible would you be interested and I missed the first email and then I saw it on social media and I thought oh okay yeah maybe I'll maybe I'll send in the CV and I probably won't get it because I'm sure everyone will apply mm. uh, and I was quite fortunate that I did end up getting the job in marketing and don't get me wrong it's, it's challenging marketing flight training in a global pandemic but I do really enjoy it I feel quite lucky to have stayed in the aviation sector um, yeah. and I've been here almost a year I've been here now mm. which is really strange to me. You say it's quite difficult marketing a flight school what sort of things do you do day to day? Um, so effectively, we're looking to recruit future students. And whereas the training team focused on bringing those students on board, we're focused on generating interest in the company and whether that's through social media or advertising or open days and things like that. So our idea is it might be someone who's at school, 15, 16, who might not start flight training for a few years, or it can be someone who's in work and is looking for a career change. But our job is to represent the brand online and digitally and publicly um, but also to gain interest from future mm. students um, so yeah so social media advertising email marketing event management that's probably my day-to-day job I'd suggest what would you say that the highlight of your training has been to date it's a good question I, I I knew you were going to ask this and I wasn't 100% sure what I was going to say um, <laughs> I think perhaps it was the sort of maybe it was eventually passing my CPL I found the CPL phase of my training really quite tricky compared to some of the others where like the IR stage which I found maybe a little bit easier because it was more procedural um, but the CPL phase I found quite tricky and I wasn't sure how well I was performing and perhaps I wasn't performing great coming up to my exam but after I'd sort of sorted out the issues and gone through the exam it was sort of passing the CPL that did it for me because I'd sort of had some challenges and I thought maybe I was doubting that I was able to do it mm. but passing it because it was the first sort of okay I'm a commercial pilot now I, I'm going to do this you know I'm that was maybe the highlight I guess it felt it's the first time it felt proper if that makes mm. sense I think and for me my QXC was the first time where I was like oh my gosh this is what I'm going to be doing it was just one of those flights that I'm going to remember basically for the rest of my life because it was just yeah, such really a cool. gorgeous day I think I did it in July or August so the airspace was so so I went Oxford to Southend to Exeter and then back to Oxford so my oh, Southend cool. to Exeter leg was two and a half hours 
Oh, wow. That's a proper length across country, isn't it? Yes. Exeter to Southend was just incredible. I also decided to fly underneath the London TMA from Oxford to Southend. So that was horrifying. I was so scared because obviously like we couldn't, we couldn't use autopilot or anything. So I was like hand flying, trying to stay at like 2,300 feet, look around and also admire the London skyline to my right. And landing at Southend, I got marshalled to park right up next to this easy fleet and I felt so small and just like <laughs> insignificant but that's yeah. a proper airport isn't it it's like mm. a proper because people will say to me oh you, you you're lucky doing some flight training in New Zealand and I do agree that so I did my qualifying cross-country in New Zealand which was great but equally I didn't really have the sort of the excitement that you would have had of they were just towns to me you know I was effectively going from a town to another town whereas mm. you were going to like places you probably will fly to in a jet you know or near your family or not and, mm. and that's the thing that you lose flying abroad and flying in the UK you gain that element of yeah these are places that I've heard of whereas mm. it, it could have been anywhere effectively when I did mine. Yeah, I think that's something that I I think I just took for granted because however exotic and exciting it is to train abroad, it was really nice to be able to fly over places that I'd actually been. So like yeah, flying over that. my university, I was like, Ooh, oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, that was quite cool. I obviously I couldn't fly over my home. But I know that the people who've who have like it just it must be really nice to be able to do yeah, that. I think that's really cool. Mm. And like, have you ever been spotted by family or friends or anything like that? Because I've never, obviously, I never no, have really. Even no, when I, I was haven't. In the UK. But well, <laughs> I flew to Tayton Hill, and there was a plane spotter who came up to me and asked if he could take a picture of the aircraft that I was in. And I was like, "Oh, should I get out?" And he was like, "No, no, no just stay in there." So if you search <laughs> a particular plane on uh, Flight Radar 24, you can just see me sat really awkwardly just waiting for this <laughs> man to take a picture. <laughs> so that's the only photo of me in an aircraft is me oh, sat very awkwardly in a DA-40 at Tayson Hill. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah I've, I've, yeah, I've never really been spotted, but that's the thing that I hadn't really experienced until I came here is that spotting here is big. Quite regularly, we see students who get spotted. I think that's really cool because it'd be nice to have something to remember, isn't it? Someone that I trained with, she had the most gorgeous picture of her flying with this gorgeous sunset and it's her in the aircraft and it's such a stunning photo yeah and I think that's it and like I always knew planes were things existed for these you know the big jets effectively Mm. I think you can get some really amazing photos and there's even some students where I work that take these incredible photos Mm. um, effectively of you know at like places like Myrtle Avenue but even you know people are just as interested in Cessnas and little diamonds and Piper Arch and things like that and yeah I just find it, it really interesting Well, thank you very much, Matt, for joining me on my podcast. Like I said, it was really interesting to hear about your background and how you found training and a bit about type rating and what's involved. Is there anything else you want to share or any bits of advice that you would like to give people? I'd love to have like a pre-rehearsed quote that I could give you. (laughs) I don't think, I think the key thing is most people are here to help I think that's the only thing that I probably didn't realize is I thought it'd be very competitive and, mm. and I, there is an element of that you know there is people who want to get the highest grade but at the end of the day most people really do they just want to get it done as well so that's and don't be put off if you've not come from a conventional you know your, your dad's not a pilot or your mum's not a pilot that would be the thing that maybe almost put me off and I think that's yeah, actually exactly. not the case for a lot of people well thank you again um, no problem thanks for <laughs> coming on <laughs> <laughs> yeah speak to you soon Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Matt and learnt a little bit about his experiences so far. 
I really agree when Matt says that people are here to help and I hope that through these podcasts myself and my guests can contribute to that in some way. As always if you'd like to reach out or if you do have any questions related to something that we've spoken about today please feel free to reach out and we'd be more than happy to help. I hope you can join me again in the next episode where I'll be chatting to Rachel as she shares her experiences as a flight instructor in the States. Thanks so much and see you next time. Be on the cockpit with Grace McKellar. Find us and like us on social media. Search at Be on the Cockpit.